Hello, and welcome to episode 136, right? Of Killer Hangover. Yes, that is right. Killer Hangover. That's Beth over there. I'm Bettina. And welcome for joining us. We're excited. It's California today. Yes, we are covering stories from California. I have the true crime this week. Mom has the paranormal and a beverage, and mm. uh, we're both going on little to no sleep. So yes, we are. <laughs> I'm caffeinated, but we'll see how long that lasts. It's uh, well, I need know. to be caffeinated, but I have a cocktail, so you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm at the point. I think a cocktail sounds a better, better than, than caffeinated. Than, yeah. <laughs> I am just so pregnant. <laughs> this too so will you, pass, sweet pea. So uh, if you hear me kind of huffing and puffing through this episode, she has really given my lungs no space in my body. So I am very out of breath. So I apologize. <laughs> She's a big girl. <laughs> She's taken up your whole body. <laughs> yes, this is a big baby. <sighs> okay, so... What cocktail are you teasing me with this, this week? Is, this is an adobe. Oh my gosh, look at that. <laughs> she definitely put garnish in there. Well, it's an El Adobe. It is delish. I already taste it. I have to say, <laughs> I have to say the website that I took it from, it's either really old and not kept up or just a bad website but and you'll see oh. why because there's no recipe <laughs> it is basically oh, so it just gives you like the ingredients but not the amount fresh lime cucumber <laughs> a splash of soda and a healthy dose of tequila okay Boom, so what did you it. do for your measuring oh really i didn't call for measuring so i didn't measure what <laughs> Well, our listeners need suggestions on what you did. I just threw, I just threw <laughs> a bunch of cucumbers in there, uh, and uh, a half a lime, and then some soda water, club soda, soda water, and that grass stuff. And then it says to garnish with rosemary. Oh, that's rosemary. Okay. And my rosemary looks like poop because I've been trying to keep it alive all through winter. <laughs> So that's rosemary. And then I put, as it says, a healthy splash of tequila. <laughs> what is the grass that's growing out of your glass? Mom, did you notice you had gl- grass in your glass? Oh, no. How how big was that shot of tequila? Oh. I didn't put very much in. But it's, if you like, like cucumber water. Mm-hmm. and stuff it's delicious that's what i taste is the cucumber you have to like cucumbers t- and i dig cucumbers so there you go dig cucumbers I, I dig them in fact after this drink i'm going to eat them <laughs> so <laughs> oh and it's soaking in the tequila i bet it's tasty yeah that's lunch it's like drinks first then <sighs> lunch <laughs> yum I yum good it is i i really like cucumber water tequila i like all that stuff yeah i might have put a few too many slices of cucumber because it tastes like i'm eating a whole cucumber when i sip it (laughs) but hey we got to make this this summer it's super refreshing oh i bet it is and then your rosemary will be fresher fresher more fresh (laughs) Oh, so I will drink and you will talk. <laughs> okay, sounds good. I am so ready for summer, by the way. Oh, oh, I just like totally knocked my microphone. I know. I am very excited for spring. The grass is starting to green up and I'm seeing little buds on the tree. I love spring. Spring is my favorite. Yeah. After the weather, the winter we've had of all like the rain and then snow on and off and just cold. It's, it's just been... dragged on. Just yeah. the fact that the sun is outside is still pretty chilly, but like the sun is out is supposed so to be nice. sixty today and tomorrow seventy. Yeah, pretty exciting. I know, and just that, like you said, the fact the sun is out, 
just the amen fact to that is <laughs> been amazing okay i got most of my story from a documentary like a show i guess it's not i don't know if it's a documentary it's more of a show i got um, most called- of mine from a show too so how's that <laughs> Uh, it's called I Lived with a Killer is the name of the show. Mm. And this is season one, episode eight. It's on Netflix, um, isn't it? No, it is not on Netflix. Oh. It is. Oh, goodness. I had to like download the thing to watch it on and I got a seven day free trial. I watched it and then I canceled. The thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's probably bad, but. We have a lot of things to download nowadays. Things. I know. I know. I, I downloaded Discovery so I could do mine. Well, see, I watch Discovery regularly. And like the kids do the Disney thing. They do, uh, you know, we have the ESPN. We watch things on Hulu. So we use those things. But I didn't see us using this thing. And I don't remember what thing it was. <laughs> but it all adds up. It's like $7.99 here, $13.99 there. It, no. it all just is just crazy. So Ridiculous. I watched. I know. I watched this episode and then I canceled it. Bye bye. But the series, like the whole show, I lived with a killer, looked interesting. So uh, I will figure out where I found that. And thank you. If you guys want to, uh, it was like reels or something like that. It was okay. some other channel. I will post it on our website uh, when I put the website up. How's that? Okay. Okay. Are we ready? Yes. This is a crazy story. Sitting at the edge of my seat. Literally. It's very bizarre. Nice. Jane. Okay. James Carson was a caring, doting father to his daughter, Jen. His wife, Lynn, worked as a school teacher and James actually stayed home and cared for their daughter. Hmm. Sorry. I'm trying to like figure out how to do this here. (laughs) to get comfortable uh he also was like a small time pot dealer on the side Hmm. (laughs) but this is just kind of that time period james and lynn they'd met in college in the late 60s and they lived the lives of hippies together they were described as a very uh, bohemian hippie family they protested the vietnam war they did a lot of protesting So uh, both parents were very loving and nurturing to little Jen, but this is still in that like, you know, era, Mm -hmm. hippie-ish era. Yes. The years progressed. Uh, Lynn, like I said, worked as a teacher. James stayed home with their daughter. And now the year was 1977. The couple lived in Phoenix, Arizona, and Lynn started to see a shift in her husband. He was still loving and caring for their daughter. But he was becoming incredibly passionate about politics, and he started to lose his temper a lot around the house. Hmm. He also started using the and not necessarily selling the drugs anymore. Oh, okay. And with more of the drugs came more aggression, and this bad spiral started to occur. The couple started to fight a lot. And the anger and words like, I'm going to kill them. Like, if he was like super against some politician, he's like, oh, I just hate them so much. I'm, I want to kill them. Like, he would just get very angry about And things. that wasn't the way he was before at all. Not at all. It really, I mean, he'd be, he was always very passionate about things, but it just became very aggressive. Then he started uh, yelling at his wife. And that was new. And the yelling then turned to shoving his wife. Oh, no. And Lynn, his wife, had had enough. The day James threw a glass, he was just in this, he was angry about something. He threw a glass and the glass shattered and actually cut their daughter <gasps> on um, her knee. And so that was it for Lynn. She was like, this is, this is enough. I'm done. Lynn scooped her daughter up right then and there and left and never looked back. The couple were divorced. They shared custody of their daughter. I believe he would get Jen like it wasn't clear in my research if it was every week, every other weekend or every weekend, like maybe twice a month, three times a month. But he he adored his daughter. He kept in touch with his daughter. But again, his spiraling was just starting to get out of control. He got heavy into the drugs. 
he started like going to parties and he went to this one party and he met the woman who owned the house. Her name was throwing the party. Her name was Susan Barnes. And she was a very wealthy divorcee. And she's hosting this just drug-fueled party. Literally, James shows up at this party and meets her for the first time and then moves in. Huh? Yep. They fell in love. The moment they met, they were like, they clung to each other like magnets. Wow. Jen, whose daughter, like I said, in in the show I mentioned, she described the couple as gasoline and a match they just really fed off each other in not a very positive way well they're both probably doing these heavy drugs too right susan i'm just gonna be honest this is my opinion she's a total kook she claimed she was a psychic and that she could talk to god and she claimed quote you are not james your name is michael like the angel that kicked Satan out of heaven. That's your true name from God. Or unquote. She claimed the two had met and loved each other in several past lives mm-hmm. uh, in ancient Europe and what have you. They were meant to be together. They always found each other. All it was right. Written in the stars. Must have been. <sighs> Keep in mind, they're also doing a lot of heavy drugs. <laughs> They're just such extremists, too. They're they're both obsessed with, like, the politics, and they claim to be, like, environmentalists, and they're spreading this good word and, like, all this kind of stuff, but they're very violent about it. Oh. And it just keeps escalating. So his mm-hmm. spiral that he was on, he's taking her on it with him now. Oh, no. But no, they're, like, two feeding of them. off okay. each other. So the two are living in Susan's house, because remember, he moved in. Mm-hmm. And he gets Jen on some weekends. Jen describes the house that Susan lived in on the show that I watched. And she was probably around four or five at the time. And she remembers walking into this house and there's no furniture. It's just filled with plants. What? Filled with plants. Yeah. Trees, plants, everywhere. She also (laughs) remembers that her... Daddy and Susan were asleep most of the time. Obviously, mm-hmm. as a child, that's all she remembers. But unfortunately, it was we know it was because of all the drugs that they were mm-hmm. on. And they would take a lot of hallucinogens stuff. Just horrible. That's scary for her. Around a child, yeah. Jen remembers climbing the kitchen counters, looking in cabinets, trying to find food. Oh, no. And she remembers using the rotary phone calling the operator and asking to call her mommy. James and Susan's delusions only escalated. Susan kept having these visions and she started claiming when people were demons. Oh no. Oh no. And like I said, God was talking to her. James, who I should say is now going by Michael, (laughs) uh, was a hundred percent devoted to Susan soon. And I hate to say this, Little Jen became an object in one of Susan's delusions. Little Jen was laying down to sleep, and she'd asked her daddy to rub her back the way her mommy did. Her father left the room for a moment, and Susan came in to fulfill the request. Susan started whispering in Jen's ear, remember, she's like four, that she was going to hell, that she was a demon. And then instead of tickling the little girl's back, she slashed the little girl's back with her sharp fingernails. Oh my gosh. The next day when Lynn came to pick up Jen, Jen was like expressing that she was hungry and because she hadn't eaten all weekend and Lynn kind of, you know, her mind doesn't go to those dark places right away. She, she was just like, oh, maybe they didn't give you a cookie that you had been asking for or something like that. So she didn't really quite take it seriously. But then later that evening, Jen told her mom, my back hurts. And when Lynn raised Jen's shirt to look, she discovered five open wounds on her daughter's back. That was that. She had to find a way to keep her ex-husband and Susan away from Jen. Definitely. And, you know, court systems are difficult. And she would talk to Michael. Now his name is Michael. His family, friends, like she was trying to get like 
um, people to write letters to prove that he has like totally gone down this wrong path. And everybody kind of wrote her off as the woman that lost her husband to another woman. Like they didn't take her seriously. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't necessarily have much proof. She does really what I think she only, the only thing she could do is she ran away. She took her daughter and just With left. her child. Yes. Again, it's Michael now. It's not James anymore. It's Michael. <laughs> he is transformed into Michael. I just want to throw that back out there. So she packs up. Well, before she packs up, she's like starts to pl- make this plan of escape, right? And then one day she receives a call from James. Sorry, Michael. And he says that she, he and Susan are leaving the country and... They want to visit all these continents to spread their word and spread Susan's visions. And they were calling to tell Lynn that they were on their way to pick Jen up. No. To go with them. They asked her to get the birth her birth certificate ready and that they would be there in about an hour. That's when Lynn just rushed her plan and packed everything up and disappeared, went into hiding from her ex-husband. So Michael and Susan, they traveled to Europe preaching their religion although it wasn't legal the two got married bunny using bunny ears um in a celebration by moonlight at stonehenge that's special eventually they i think that's actually kind of (laughs) cool eventually they run out of funds and they head back to the united states trying to find like the best location that would fit their like hippie hallucinogenic way of life so they settled in height ashbury outside san francisco in california now they come to the united states with the names susan and michael bear okay and they preach and they sing and they are on this religious quest just the two of them or do they have leader or followers by now uh i wouldn't call them followers but they do have people that listen to them like okay i'm not i mean it was just the two of them that it's not like they formed some kind of cult following or anything like that Mm -hmm. so they preached this personalized kind of bits and pieces of islam captivated within this like mysticism like okay they were they called themselves religious warriors and they were radical environmentalists like i said and they made a living by selling pot (laughs) so on this religious journey they meet karen barnes a 23 year old from georgia she had been in the movie smoky and the bandit with burt burt reynolds i remember that told her that he told her that she had something so she packed up her things and she moved to california she didn't find any work in the movies but she did actually work as jane fonda's housekeeper for a while there you go. And then she finds herself in Hyde Ashbury in San Francisco with these two kookies. They moved into her basement. Wow. Yeah. And her friends were not. So she she found a group of friends out in the area that loved history and this mystic philosophy um, and art. And it the kind of crossed paths and all of that she Mm -hmm. and the bears and her friends warned her like oh they're just really they're real extremists like just be careful but she was really captivated and i don't want to call her a follower she's not following what they're preaching but she was just interested in finding her new path and she was interested in what they had to say so i don't think i think she listened out of kindness i don't think she was listening out of like a follower or anything like okay. that. So them friends warn her, but they move into her basement to live. Now, this next part of the story has been told one of three ways. One way was that the couple had tried to convince Karen to join them in their religious quest and become a threesome of sorts. Okay. And she refused. Another story was that Susan all hopped up on all of her drugs started to get jealous of Karen and maybe like believed that her intentions were to get Michael and got, she was seeing things that weren't there. You know what I mean? She thought that Karen was trying to be romantic with Michael. 
The third story, which I believe is probably more accurate, was that Susan believed that Karen was being fake with the couple. Like I mentioned, I think she was just listening to them out of courteousness and she was sweet and she was interested, but not like as a follower, like I said. And Susan started to see that. And uh, she says that she's a witch. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, honestly, either way you look at things, it all starts to go south. It all starts to get bad. Karen tells Michael, or I'm sorry, Susan tells Michael that Karen is a witch and that Karen was draining Susan of her yogic powers. And Michael, being the ever supportive, loyal follower of Susan, does whatever Susan says, and he kills her. So either jealousy or denial in the religious quest or draining of yogic powers. I don't really think that there was really a real reason to kill Karen, unfortunately, Mm -hmm. but she was killed on March 6th, 1981. Uh, Michael came from behind her in the kitchen one evening, hit her over the head with a skillet. And without any hesitation, Susan came in behind him with a paring knife and yeah, can assume what happened after that they killed her for no reason but in their illogical minds they committed a holy act they quote rid the world of an unholy witch oh geez louise and unfortunately by the time karen's body was discovered the following day susan and michael bear had run off and keep in mind in the investigation while questioning friends and family like who was living in the basement they were like, oh, it's Susan and Michael Bear. But there's That's no... That's not their legitimate mm-hmm. names. The next we know was the summer of the following year. The two were working on a pot farm out in California, Humboldt County. From what I understand, Susan worked the land and Michael was given the job as security. Real safe. He was given a gun. Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Again, the stories of the next horrible act, uh, they're told in different ways. But I'm going to just share the story that the show showed. The show okay. showed. Susan got into an altercation with another pot farmer on the farm. They lived in like a, with a bunch of people. and Commune almost. Thank you. That's the word. It was a commune. So she and this man, Clark Stevens, another commune member, pot grower, got into an altercation over how to manicure the pot plants. Susan turned to Michael and told him, yes, he's a witch. So <laughs> Michael, Clark Stevens kill. was shot in the head. The body of Clark Stevens was taken out to an unused field. They poured accelerant on it, on him, and he was burnt. Uh, okay. I tried. I really did. I tried to find information on Clark Stevens. Like we always do. We try to talk about the victims. There's like nothing out there on him, like anywhere. So do you think he really existed? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like. He did. I mean, they were tried for his death. Yes, he existed. But there's nothing. No information on him. him. You know, I I don't know. He lived in a commune. Maybe he was going by a different name, too. Did police care? Like, I know that sounds horrible. But in those days, you know, 77, 78, like he lived on a commune selling pot. Like, I don't. But I, I did look. So I hate to just like glaze over his death, but I could not find anything on him. Michael and Susan go on the run again. Again. Okay. I'm going to try to do this next part some justice, but it's going to really be hard because it's just so bizarre. So these two are on the run and they're hitchhiking along some road and they see these police cars coming down the road, sirens going, lights flashing, and they're like, crap, they're after us. Mm -hmm. So they go and they run into the woods. Okay, so, but the police are actually out there on some unrelated search. Like, of course, they don't police at this point still don't even know that poor Clark Stevens was killed. Like, that's Mm. a totally different thing. These guys were out. These police officers were out there looking for a missing hiker, missing hikers. And so, (laughs) sorry, the visual is just horrible. So they, these two kooks go running into the, the woods to hide. Well, the police all pull over and they start searching those woods for these missing hikers. For the hikers, but they still think the police are coming after them? 
So the police are searching in the woods for these hikers. And all of a sudden, this wild man and this crazed woman jump out from underneath like a tarp like they had hidden. They were hiding. And they just start running in circles screaming. (laughs) Yeah, they literally were just like jumping and screaming and running in circles around each other and around the police and like the police are like what in god's name is happening (laughs) well in all of this bizarre kooky running i'm sorry just picturing this this oh they're just they're so freaking weird these two so they're running around screaming and they drop a backpack is dropped in this process and they just like run to run away and the police are just left in like bewilderment <laughs> they go and they find this back they see this backpack that was dropped and they look in it and they discover a ton of drugs which they're probably like yeah that does not yeah, that, make sense. that explains that, everything that connects <laughs> um but they actually also discovered a gun and a manifesto titled a cry for war mm. in this they find just It really kind of showed the depth of their illusions. They had targeted bombing sites that they wanted to overtake. They had planned out political assassinations, though, Mm, like like planned out. They had these just writings about how a nuclear war was going to happen and just gibberish. And I think on the show... One of the police officers or somebody that was interviewed was like, there are half-baked ideas of justifying killing people. Oh, dear. There was detailed plans on how to kill witches. And they had a list of witches. And in the list, it included Johnny Carson, Governor Jerry Brown. Uh, It was a very detailed plan of killing Ronald Reagan. I mean, a very detailed plan. And that's what put authorities on high alert of just... Yes, they're crazies with a ton of drugs running around in circles, but this isn't just total gibberish. This is like, a this threat, is right? A plan, yeah. And then in the backpack, they also found a driver's license for a Richard Irota. So they just kind of put everything in evidence. Now, it's not until about two weeks after this moronic incident in the woods, the police are called out to the pot farm. Uh, apparently, a dog they thought was uh, a pot farm dog (laughs) probably lives the best life. If you think about it with all the snacks and everything on the pot farm. Uh, But they thought he was playing with a ball. And when the dog brought the ball to them and they went to throw it, head. (laughs) Yeah. The police get called out to this pot farm. Uh, They said, you know, they're trying to get a timeline and they're like, well, he went missing around the same time that, Michael and Susan Bear went missing. But again, these aren't names that are connecting to anything sure. else. And they're far from where Karen Barnes was killed. So that's not even going to connect. Mm-hmm. They don't have some computer system to type in the names. And so ugh, thank God we've come where that's we've come. Where we, you can do that. Yeah. Sorry. I'm like really running out of breath. <laughs> it's embarrassing. Oh. So. When these two crazies jumped up in the woods and started running in circles, they lost track of each other. And one ran that way and one ran the other way. Somehow they're, they're, they had a plan to meet up at some safety house in the woods somewhere, some safe house. I don't know anything. Of, that's just what all the resources said. I don't know if they owned this house or they knew someone that owned this house, but This ding dong went that way. That ding dong went this way. But the plan was if we ever lose each other to always meet at the safe house. So this is really crazy, but they're doing their thing and trying to get to the safe house. And Michael's hitchhiking on the road. And this guy that drives by thinks that he recognizes Michael from the news or a newspaper or something um, as being wanted. And so this local for the local police officer gets him and they think he looks like a man that's wanted in the area for a sexual assault. So nothing to do with anything, with him, right? Nothing to do with the backpack in the woods or the killing on the pot farm. But he apparently looks like the guy that was wanted for the sexual assault. So they pick him up and they bring him in to the police station. And in the police station, he's like really kind. He speaks well, and he's very convincing that, 
this is not me. That's not where, you know, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. And they're like, okay, well, can we have your name just to put it on the record that we brought you in or whatever? And he's like, yes, my name is Richard Iroda. So then he leaves and they kind of, they run the name, put it in the system and it matches with the license that was in the backpack. Mm -hmm. So they're just like, well, crap, (laughs) we let this guy go. Uh, Why they didn't run his name while they still had him in, in custody, I don't know, but they didn't. So remember, Lynn and Jen are in hiding and the show really goes more in depth you know lynn used to be a great teacher they used to live in a nice house and now they're living in random hotel rooms or apartments she's picking up odd jobs because she doesn't want to give her social security number like they're really living in hiding and they were finally starting to kind of she's moving from school to school school they're finally starting to kind of get their feet on the ground a little bit and they get a knock at their front door and it is actually the secret service this is 1982 at this point she's like how did you find us like i have been and they just pretty much laughed in her face they're like we are the secret service we're the secret service (laughs) ma'am i know right did you just see could you see this is total (laughs) straight guy straight face question like yeah secret service (laughs) duh we're the secret service i still want to (laughs) know And uh, Jen actually called them. They looked like the men in black. Like they just were very. Yeah. Uh, So they asked her questions about her ex-husband. They wanted to know how serious they should take this manifesto and these Uh. political plans. So the Secret Service, they knew they knew who Michael and Susan were, but they had no idea where they were at all. January in 1983, Michael and Susan, they hid out as long as they could. I think in that little safe house. Safe house. Okay. But now now they're officially broke. And so they start hitchhiking. A John Hellier, and again, cannot find much on this. Couldn't find anything on this man, which just stinks. Picks a couple up off the side of the road in Bakersfield. They ride along with John for nearly 200 miles. Wow. When somehow, for some reason. He becomes a witch. We all know it's not a real reason. Susan leans into Michael and tells him that her senses were telling her that this man was a witch. So a fight ensues between Michael and John while John is driving. Oh, no. And John produces a gun. And the two are fighting over this gun. John pulls over to the side of the road and the fight continues outside of the car. Michael gains control of the gun and they're like, like, I don't want to be dramatic here. They're like parked next to like a park. Like they're like in a town like there's people walking their dogs and walking their kids right not a deserted highway and in plain view of all these passing motorists and people nearby michael shoots john in the head multiple times oh oh how awful the couple jumps back into the car and they speed off susan is driving there is a 100 mile pursuit of a police chase police are after them right away and then susan crashes into a ditch Police cuff the couple and Susan is super excited. She is going on and on and on bragging about, did you see how fast I was driving? Did you see my driving? Are you not impressed with my driving? Oh my God. My old man couldn't have even drive like that. Like just bragging. The two are thrown into jail and it gets weirder, mom. So police have them for John, because obviously that was very evident that it was out in public. Mm-hmm. And the and they suspect more killings by the way that they're chatting in prison, but the couple are not confessing to anything. Ugh, sorry, this just gets so bizarre. Michael actually gets really agitated, and he writes to the San Francisco Chronicle, which is the same paper that the Zodiac wrote to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he writes to them, "How many people do we have to kill to get your attention?" He's like really angry that he's not getting attention by the media and they want to share their reasons of justification for killing. Oh, of course. And they agree we will confess and we will give you all of the details if reporters are present. So the police agree to a press conference. Mm. (laughs) Now, on the way up to the microphone, Susan exclaims to Michael, quote, now, Michael. 
We're only going to talk about the ones in California, okay? (laughs) Unquote. It was a five-hour conference. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. They wanted to get their agenda out there. Absolute ramblings of religion and philosophy. President Reagan was the devil. Visions that Susan received from Allah. Her job was to identify, and Michael's job was to kill the witches. And their success in killing witches. At the press conference, they confessed to the three killings in California that I just described. Mm-hmm. They are suspects in 12 other homicides in the United States. And people actually think that they did more in Europe for the years that they were there. OMG. Yeah. Wow. But they were only charged with the three counts of first degree murder. The couple was deemed the San Francisco witch killers. They called themselves that. Then they wanted the media to call them that. And the media called them that. So they are the San Francisco witch killers. It just makes me sick. That's the last time you're going to hear me say that because I'm not going to call them what they want to be called. <laughs> In 1984, the two were put on trial. Jen described the trial of her father as an absolute circus. Oh, the no. couple literally sat up there making out in court. So they got tried together. Mm-hmm. I mean, tongues down each other's throats as these killings are being described on the stand. They were using the defense that they themselves were being psychologically attacked, right? So that was their defense. We're being, I I can talk to God and I have visions and I was, I'm being psychologically attacked. So their witnesses that took the stand for them mm-hmm. were anything from wizards to other to just all of these psychedelic people (laughs) of eclectic kinds okay okay? Mm -hmm. people that the lawyers picked up at circuses and just just all these to prove that susan was being attacked in her mind by these people they were found guilty of the three murders and they received 75 years to life all of the other suspected killings and charges were dropped since they were already serving this And they didn't want to spend the time and the money on resources. And they probably didn't want to go through that circus again and give these two kooks more attention. Right, right. So I don't blame them. It stinks because you don't get the justification that these other victims deserved. I That does really stink for those families. It's horribly sad. But they're not remorseful in these killings. They don't give a crap. I can kind of see why the courts didn't move forward with anything else. Now, unfortunately, in 2014, there were reforms in the California prison system, meaning that the two became eligible for parole every five years. Jen fights fights their parole every time, uh, along with the victim's families and those that have heard their story. So I'm fairly certain, in my opinion, this is my opinion, (laughs) they would 100% kill again if they were freed. They They didn't see any wrongdoing. No, and they still have their rantings and their ravings and their religious preachings in prison to this day. I mean, they don't care. They don't care. They have no guilt. But unfortunately, Jen does. She suffered greatly as a child growing up. Her mom did a beautiful job of explaining what was happening to to her father in a very age-appropriate way. But as she grew, the questions grew and her ability to research grew and it started to haunt her you know how could this man that braided my hair and took care of me could kill people to her that almost meant that anybody could be a killer then if my daddy could do that then anybody could do that and that terrified her she didn't sleep she became suicidal at the age of nine she really suffered so when she grew up she chose a helping profession quote to make deposits of goodness into this bank to balance the evil from her father so it's just she works as a counselor working with students with emotional disabilities and behavioral challenges she also did advocacy of children of prisoners and violent crime victims and you know and that's something we don't think about i think we we mention it i'm just pulling this because it's the first thing that's coming to mind like btk he had kids How did that affect them? Like, they're Mm -hmm. just innocent. That's their daddy. Like, that's just, there's so many children that are affected 
in that way. And I guess that was not something I really never thought about. And watching that show I was like, wow, that's, that's true. Like her dad used to brush her teeth before bed and braid her hair to go to school. And like, and then she's reading in a newspaper that she found hidden in her mom's sock drawer about bludgeoning. And she's like, I remember there's a word I didn't understand. So I wrote it down and I looked it up in the dictionary and it was bludgeoning. And she's like, mm. I want to find out that that's what my dad did to somebody. It's, it's horrendous. So it's yeah, it's sad. It is. It is. It just affects everybody, doesn't it? Even though she wasn't around it, but it still affects her because that was her father. Yeah. Who she loved. Oh, wow. Like, I've never heard of these people. Pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) What? Nuts. Kooks. Total kooks. And it's like a mixture of pregnancy brain really sucks um that woman that was claiming her kids the one who killed her kids out and she's on trial now you did a whole story on her oh just last time no 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 she just killed her kids she was doing oh daybell thing. it reminded Thank me you. so oh <laughs> remind me so much of Lori daybell i was gonna say something while you were talking it's quite a mix of like daybell with like manson with like it's around that same time of just and then I I covered a cult in another episode of just like this religion and like it makes me mad because she claimed in a lot of reasons a lot of when she talked to the press that it's it's where is we're Islam we're Islam and it's like no you're not and you're ruining that religion like you're ruining that culture for those people because you just took little things from it and then you mix it in with your own psychedelic drugs and just it's and they just laughed and they were, they were never remorseful. And it just can't believe they were making out in the court. Yeah. That's so strange. So strange. Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> so do you have anything strange and paranormal for us, mom? I do actually. Okay. I see Obi walking around and he can't get comfortable. He can't get comfortable. Go lie down. Go lie <laughs> down. Go lie down. My dogs are laying down in here, but they were just outside for a really long time. So they just stink. stinks. <laughs> that doggy fresh air stink. <laughs> but they're out cold. They were playing. Our neighbors have a puppy and they just run the fence. And Annie, oh, they did that like again. That's great. 11 and 12 years old. Like they're not young pups anymore, but they just run that fence, run that. Fence, so they are out. <laughs> That's awesome. That's good exercise for those little ones. All right. So So, I looked up my cocktail, El Adobe, uh, because I'm going to speak about the Los Coches Adobe. Does that sound familiar at all to you? It does. Was this on Ghost Adventures? Yes. (laughs) So the Adobe sits along the side of Highway 101 in a mostly rural part of Soledad, California, which sits about 200 miles south of San Francisco. Just, I'm going to tell you a little bit of history about this place. Um, it was built in 1843 as a home wow. and was added onto throughout the years. After being built, the land was cultivated and became a ranchero a ranch. Los Croches, which is Spanish and translates as, okay, car or also as carriage or coach. Okay. So uh, one article I was reading well, yeah, said- Yeah, that makes sense because you can call it- yeah. uh, It's mostly car, which is weird because this was when? 1843. <laughs> um, this, this one translated it as pigs- and I was like, pigs? What does that have get to from do car and with coaches to pigs? anything? So I looked it up and I was like, what does this mean? And it's car that came up all over. But one site had this long list of things it could be. And one of them was pigs. <laughs> I was like, what? I don't think anybody <laughs> ever rode a pig. So like I, as a vehicle. I don't even. Anyway. The adobe played a big part in the area. It was a Wells Fargo station agent office, post office, 
a stagecoach stop and an inn. So it was quite the place to be. From 1854 to 1868, it acted as a stop for passengers on the Bexby Overland Overland Stage, which ran between Los Angeles and San Francisco. And in 1872, the railroad came to town, connecting the area to San Francisco. So, But the travelers still had to stay a night or several nights in order to catch the stagecoach to go on to uh, wherever they were traveling because that's so the railroad stopped there there. and then did a did a turnaround basically okay there was a terrible drought in 18 in the 1860s that devastated the area los coches was not spared as with the entire area the ranchero lifestyle came to an end land was sold and in 1865 ranchero los coches was bought by david jacks A hundred years later, his daughter, Margaret, donated the adobe and 10 acres to the state of California and to Adeline Richardson O'Brien, a resident of the town whose family was one of the first settlers. There are still, this, this is fascinating to me, there are still some locust trees that were planted way back then that are still in existence. That's so, so cool. Can you imagine just standing underneath those trees with that much history under your feet? It's just amazing. No, that's really amazing neat. to me. Of course, with this long history, there are plenty of stories and legends that go with the area. One tale is that some miners were trapped in a mine near the adobe and died. Visitors say that they can still hear the miners' screams. Another tale is of the woman in black. Oh, not white. Uh oh, black. <laughs> Some say we that had she... a woman in white in a while, though. No, we haven't. I tried to avoid them. <laughs> Did you see the story? How's a woman in white? You're like, ah, moving on. <laughs> I just spent two days researching this, but we're moving on. <laughs> I've talked about her before. <laughs> we know her, met her. She's boring. Just pops from one area to the other. Okay, some say that this woman in black is a witch that wanders the grounds at night. Why are we both talking about witches? (laughs) (laughs) Those that have seen her face said Uh it is a face of pure evil. No, no. it's it's, Yeah, her face is that of pure evil. And yet her mission is to guard the miners and look for a way to help them out of the mine. Okay, the story (laughs) does does not add up. There's so many stories in this. There are some stories that are much more gruesome. It is said that while the stagecoach ran through the area, the adobe became a brothel slash inn. Miners riding the stagecoach would stop at the adobe for the night. It's said that the brothel's madam, otherwise known as the lady in black, would sneak into the miners' room at night, slit their throat, and steal their hard-earned money. She would then dump like the, the bender dead... situation. Exactly. <laughs> she would then dump the dead man down the well, not far from Los Coches. I hope that well wasn't in use. That's all I'm saying. Oh, yeah. Now, of course, this is the tale that Ghost Adventures believe to be true. The well one? The uh, the slicing the throat one. Yeah. And then throwing down the well? Did yeah. they go in search of the well? <laughs> <laughs> no, they never did. They never did. Ghost Adventures visited the area and the adobe in 2015 on season 11 or 14, episode 6. I know. Now, if you Google their episodes, it's never it's right. It's all over the board. It's everywhere. It's wrong. Now, when I watched it on Discovery, it was season 11. But then if you go someplace else to watch it, it's 14. So weird. But I've run into that before. So if you guys want to watch it, good luck. <laughs> really, the only place I could watch this was Discovery, or I don't Discovery. have who I don't have Hulu and all that other stuff. I don't even think it was on Hulu. No, they're only on Discovery. So there you go. But it's like five bucks a month. There's a lot on Discovery. I like Discovery so, Plus. Okay, this is not an ad. <laughs> so, no, we're not getting paid for an ad. <laughs> But Discovery Plus, if you want to use this for an ad, <laughs> please do so. 
Um, of course, I had to watch this episode, and this is what got me interested in doing the thing. But I haven't talked about Ghost Adventures for a while, so no, you know. I I did with the Mineral Wells, but nothing like about them necessarily. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while since we laughed at Zach. <laughs> Please don't sue us. <laughs> and you will at the end of this too. Okay, so according to Baggins, Zach Baggins. Bagans, sorry. Uh oh, he'll see you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sticking with Zach. <laughs> the only reason for investigating Los Coches was for the well being of the city employees who were the caretakers of the adobe, mm -hmm. but who are too scared to enter the building. That's the only reason for the investigation. <laughs> One okay. employee told now these stories that the. So, what is this used as now? It's it's boarded up. It's so all boarded it up. An employee, an employee of. Well, remember, she gave part of the land to the city. And so they have to still kind of take care of it's a historical site. And so I think they're um, they're working on restoring it. Oh, OK. So but at the time, 2015, it was still boarded up. OK. OK. They were just kind of taking care of it. Yeah. Um. One employee told Zach that while walking through the building on one of his rounds, something must have attached itself to him. And you will find this in many of these stories. Ooh, that's those attachment stories are really, they creep me out. Back at home in the middle of the night, he awoke feeling something heavy on his chest, making it very hard to breathe. This happened three times. After the third, he saw a shadow crossing the room. It was blacker than the night. Another employee, who happens to be the first guy's brother, um, spoke to Zach and he also had a story. He also had done the rounds in the building, and while in bed back at his house, he was awakened by a knocking at the back door. Think, thinking it was the wind, he went back to sleep, only to be awakened by knocking again. Nope. This time, he grabbed his well, gun. I have a ring camera. <laughs> <laughs> this time, he grabbed his gun and headed to the door. He unlocked it and looked out, but there was nothing there. So, okay, he went back to bed. This time he was awakened by something pushing on his chest, something that felt like hands. The next morning he found handprints on his chest and there was actually a photo taken and, and you could see bruises? these hand, yeah, hand, you could see handprints, but the bruises were handprints. Crazy. During the team's investigation, shadow figures were seen Zach was touched. The mm. recorder picked up a male's voice saying, get out. And twice a female's voice was picked up saying, quite clearly, I might add, repado. Zach suggested that this may be a prostitute telling the men to go faster. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Take that any way you like. Go faster, get out of the, get out of the adobe faster or, you know, whatever. Wherever your oh, mind goes. Oh, boy. <laughs> That man's okay. mind. Zach sends Billy into the building alone. Okay. Yes, because so he's Zach alone. won't go alone. Yeah, no, never. You know, so he sends Billy in, but he attaches this transmitter thing into his onto his chest. And that into way his chest. <laughs> into, yeah. Along with the handprints. Wow, they um, really improved their, <laughs> their equipment. I've watched. This was 2015. So Zach was at home base and he was transfer translating Spanish English into Spanish okay. so that he would be speaking on this monitor or whatever it is that's attached to Billy. And he was speaking Spanish because he go in there by with him. Like what? Well, he had afraid? to, he was using a laptop or something to translate okay. and then he would repeat it. The poor Billy has no idea what Zach's saying. <laughs> He starts off nice and calm by, you know, hola and, and just como estas and all this other stuff. But then the greeting, yeah. Zach starts pumping it up and he starts yelling and antagonizing the spirit by saying, attack me, attack me now, attack me. And Billy's like, dude, what are you saying? And Zach oh, goes, oh, I'm just, I'm just telling them hello. In a very aggressive way, but sure. Did anything happen to Billy? 
Um, let's see. Billy was touched and his screaming brought Zach into the building. As Zach looked into a room, he also screamed and he said he saw a face. Oh, I wonder if it was the woman in black. The witch. No, but an actual face. And and I forgot whether he said it was a man or a woman. I think he said it was a man. Mm. Of course, he thought it was a minor. A minor that digs gold. <laughs> Not a, no. a little minor. No. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Children are minors. Oh. Uh, O-R. <laughs> okay. All right. So he does so he's say. old enough to drink. I get it. Yeah. He does say, in hindsight, I, I have to apologize to Billy because uh, something followed him home. Like, yeah, okay, you're asking whatever thing is in there. Attack me. Attack me now. And poor Billy is like, mm. he looks like that regardless. But anyway, <laughs> the whole crew is at nerve center now. And Zach sends Jay into the adobe. Jay hears many sounds, including footsteps right in front of him. And at one point he gets so unnerved that he goes into a trance of sorts. So he just, in the middle of this room, he just falls and sits cross-legged and he's holding his recorder uh, thing out in front of him. And, and you can see this all is body cam or whatever that he has on. And you just see his hands dropping the recorder and he starts violently shaking the crew back at home base. They haven't heard from him for a few minutes and they were constantly talking to him and there's silence. They give this just a few minutes and then they run into the building and they find him in this weird trance in the middle of the room. Crazily, it seems the whole crew, when they left this investigation, left with an attachment. They experienced hmm. night terrors, saw shadow figures in their homes, and heard knocks on their doors. Billy experienced the worst, thanks to Zach. But Zach admitted it. Okay. Oh, good. <laughs> So this place seems, I I have to say that this is one place I would not go into. Well, I just don't understand why all these attachments, like why it doesn't seem like anything terribly dramatic happened there unless you do go with the whole brothel story. But you know what I mean? Well, like, Well, what? they also interviewed um, a brother and sister who had lived in the home as children. The brother, uh, there's a lot of dreams also connected with this place mm. and the brother said that he kept dreaming about this rocking chair and there was indeed when they lived there a rocking chair in front of this back door and he kept dreaming and every time he's dreaming the door rattles and the next thing he knows there's a person standing behind him and it just it, and he had that dream for years and years and years but why such dark hauntings like what happened there to make well such supposedly a dark... right there in that area uh, there was a, uh, it's when the girls turned 15, they have the party. Oh, a quinceanera. They, and during that party, there was a man that was stabbed and it was around that area of the house. Yeah, but does that create such this dark entity of something I don't know. following? And... I don't know. But the city employees won't go in there. The mayor also spoke to Zach. He won't go in there. People are truly terrified of this place. oh i believe it i just wonder why it, it is terrifying and i'm just wondering if they do a... i don't know if fear has already just imprinted that you right. know what i mean yeah or maybe fear in your their own minds cause yeah. causes that i don't know you know i'm just wondering how the re i mean if they're really making this rebuilding this place not rebuilding but reconstructing it then i'm wondering what activity they've had now there isn't anything saying that and you don't know what they're rebuilding it like how what how they're going to use the building no no mm. they might use it as an inn <laughs> i'm not staying there mm -mm. okay of course in ghost adventures there's always light-hearted moments uh before the investigation started that night so before they got locked in zach and billy head out to old stage road out in the country this road is said to be very haunted, but not only that, this is an area where many bodies have been found. And Why? They, th they think it's like a gang dumping ground. 
like recently or like yeah yeah oh okay Yikes. so the gang thing is kind of a more earthly threat and yeah. zach of course is sitting on the edge of his seat he he's using the thermal camera and billy is driving a car comes towards them and there's no lights out there so it's just headlights okay so this car comes towards him turns off its light gets closer to them turns it on and as it's passing them turns it off again and then when it passed him turns it on it turns on again and zach's like oh my gosh oh my gosh watch make sure you doesn't turn around make sure you doesn't turn around and billy's like you know what it means don't you you know what sign that is and zach's like yeah i do and he goes that's the gang sign that they're gonna come and kill you it's an initiation thing zach goes i know i know are they coming are they coming <laughs> he is terrified and he goes no he, they didn't turn back around so then shortly after that they come to he picks up some thermal energy coming from this small spot by a telephone pole and he goes oh my god it's a body dump they just dumped a body but it was really small and so zach goes i think it's the thigh of a man <laughs> and billy goes i think it's a bag full of heads <laughs> They're so weird. Talk about a bunch of kooks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll end with what oh, Zach and Billy came across next. <laughs> so thermal camera once again picks up a large object, okay, on the side of the road. It is so clear to me that it is an animal. But Zach is like, oh my God, what is this? What is this? Oh my God, what is this? <laughs> they both start freaking out totally start freaking out as they come closer it is clear very clear that it's a cow okay Aww. it's a cow out of its pen and oh, it's eating alive. eating okay, grass good. yeah it's alive it's standing up you could see it from a distance that this is a critter on four legs standing up and i thought well that must be a cow it was a cow but zach loses it he, he, he afraid of cows a loose cow a loose cow oh my gosh oh my gosh <laughs> starts i mean seriously he looks like he's about to mess his pants he is so spooked by this cow you know what would be really cool though is one of those thermals just out in the field though oh you know what yeah. i mean like just random a random field i wonder what you'd pick up all the little mice and stuff running around yeah. if i see anything going shh like that i'm out of there <laughs> no but i wonder if that'd be pretty interesting it's like i've always wanted to do a metal detector like on the ground you know that would be fun i've always wanted fun. to do that <laughs> we're both so weird we are but... weird talk about <laughs> a bunch of kooks <laughs> the thermal camera would be super cool i think so it's sort of like taking one of those um not black lights but um you know the thing that picks up picks up uh human in hotel rooms yeah it's a black light yeah i would never do that uh i'd probably no. never stay in a hotel ever again if i did that even in the nicest hotels like i just don't i just would never do that on the headboards behind you i and... have no desire to do that <laughs> no desire to continue this conversation <laughs> so anyway i had to end with some fun stuff but uh ghost adventures really did a good job on this and they did pick I'm just, up i'm just stuff. fascinated with such dark entities and that follow you home but that like, scares but like, why? the bejesus off of me and usually zach is pretty good about doing the stay away stay here don't follow me type ritual after he investigates well does i mean he, he says anything follow him home because it sounds like just billy and everybody else had something happen to no him. he did too they all the whole oh. crew the whole crew did so I don't know whether he just says he does that or he forgot or it wasn't strong enough. Location like that, I don't think you'd want to forget. It's just it, weird. I wonder what the real history is, you know? I know because there's so many different stories. Yeah. But the mayor said that he thinks it's true that it was a brothel. Yeah. Interesting. Don't know, but there you go. Don't know, but there you go. You have to drink this El Adobe drink with it <laughs> oh i can't wait to drink that drink okay well resources for this episode are going to be on our our website. our website 
what website? Killerhangoverpodcast.com. You can, obviously, if you're watching us or if you didn't know, we're on YouTube. Please like, subscribe, and do all the fun YouTube things. So you're seeing us now. <laughs> if you're seeing us, yeah. I think that's like and subscribe, the... right? Kit. Yep. Yep. That's the whole kit and caboodle. You can also subscribe. Subscribe. Wow. I cannot say that word today. Wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you. <laughs> I need a nap. I think I just need a nap. You do need a nap. So we'll wrap this thing up. Well, this was a good one, mom. It was fun. It was bizarre. Uh, just be prepared. When baby comes, we might have to take one week off to get footing. Um, but if you're just going to die without us. <laughs> oh, yeah. We're on Patreon. So we'll always be putting out episodes there. Link to that will be in the description of this episode. But you can find us on Patreon. It's $5 a month. So like I said worth last it. time. I can't wait to start using that money for a cocktail that I get to enjoy. <laughs> and you don't have to drink alone anymore. Yay. <laughs> I am bringing well, champagne, though. When I come to your house, I'm bringing oh, champagne. Okay. After baby, like, we're all having a little sip of champagne. Well, yes, of course. <laughs> Cheers, mama. Cheers. I love you, kid. <laughs>